good morning, good night, good whatever. We're glad you're here. (laughs) What's up, guys? We know the last thing you need is another fitness podcast to catch you up on the newest trends and fad diets. Kind of sick of those by now. That's why we, Mariana and I, created Fitness Stuff for Normal People podcast to make exercise and nutrition science practical. Our goal is to expose misinformation in the industry by providing only evidence-based education, where today we had Mariana and I's favorite guest to date, Dr. Bill Campbell. What we talked about pretty much looked at over his decades in over 200 published research papers, the principles in training and nutrition that he has recognized that has stood the test of those 200 research papers in the field. His ethos, our ethos lines up perfectly. We had a great conversation. So we're just going to go ahead, get into it. We'll tell you where you can find Bill and everything at the end. I'm going to start by just introducing and telling the people who you are if they're unfamiliar, and then we can just bleed right into it. So bear with me as I read off the million (laughs) bullet points. If I miss anything, you can let me know. So let's talk about this. Bill Campbell, correct me if I'm wrong with any of this. Currently, you're a professor of exercise science and the director of performance and physique enhancement laboratory at USF, the University of South Florida. You earned your PhD in exercise, nutrition, and preventative health from Baylor well over a decade ago. Certified strength and conditioning specialist from the National Strength and Conditioning Association. You are, this is the bullet point that caught me, former president of the International Society of Sports Nutrition, one of 35 individuals in the world to be recognized as a fellow of that organization, which is, as you were kind of saying, an honor reserved for those individually of outstanding contributions in the field of sports nutrition. And then, of course, the accolades of, okay, published over 200 scientific papers and abstracts, four books, over 20 chapters in books in areas related to physique enhancement, sports nutrition, resistance training, and dietary supplementation did i miss anything um <laughs> no but when i go home i'm dad and why didn't you take out the trash <laughs> exactly back on we wear a different mask and why we were so pumped and i know we were talking about this before we are gonna kind of air this because our podcast is more geared towards the less extremes so people who are fit who are healthy who are trying to improve get leaner get stronger maybe build some muscle your research specifically is more geared towards just to be a, applicable to people who could read it and almost to the point where they could implement it themselves, the same exact metrics and processes or coaches could implement with their clients instead of the extremes that we read in obese populations or those physique where they're on very low 800 calorie liquid diets, things like that, that we get a lot from, but can't really be applied to most people. That's why we're most excited to have you on. So I think we wanted to start by just asking you like, why this field? Why'd you end up gearing your research in this direction? I, I'll start with, I've done research in both of those extremes, uh, mm-hmm. ob- obese individuals, particularly females, and even in elite level comp- competitive bodybuilders. And then why the, f- the, the focus on the, the, the middle road? I, I would say it's because I, th- that's where I'm at. So I guess just selfishly, I want to do research that applies to me and my wife. So neither my wife or I have any desire at this point to step on a bodybuilding stage, but I think we would both like to look like we could, Mm -hmm. but without going to the extremes that are needed to do that. So I, 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 I would say this, I like to study what bodybuilders do because they are admittedly the experts in fat loss. They're the experts in building muscle but it's a very non-sustainable lifestyle for anybody who's not a competitive bodybuilder. 
Mm-hmm. So essentially what I do is study them. What are they doing? Dial back what they do a few degrees, study that, and then, and then apply that to, okay, these are the core essentials of building the best body that you can sustain when you have children, if you want to go out to eat, if you're going to go on vacation and enjoy it. So that's, I guess it's a, it's kind of like, well, I call it a physique lifestyle. That's essentially what it is. And I yeah. guess the, the reason why is because it appeals to me. I'm a selfish researcher. <laughs> Helping the Campbells. The research is geared towards the Campbells. Yeah. Well, but that's, I think, the big piece, right? The maintainable lifestyle. People often don't realize what, you, you know, you see people on stage, you're like, holy cow, they look like a Greek god or goddess. But they also don't see the lifestyle that usually comes with it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a, that's a big focus of yours. Yeah, and, and for, if anybody's not sure what they're not seeing, it is that that is not sustainable. And, and again, I'm going to be like, what is it, the old man screaming from his porch. <laughs> the, I'm on an Instagram. That it is not reality. I think a, a disservice of social media is people think that all of these fit, lean females and six-pack males, that that's how they live. Yeah. It's not the truth. Now, of course there are outliers there are a few people who are just naturally lean but my observation of this of of the 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 fitness space is people get lean they get a ton of spend a lot of money on photo shoots and that's what they're putting out there and then they disappear when they're not lean but you would never know that so that's yeah just just my impression from middle-aged man looking at the world of social media yeah i think it's a pretty good outlook (laughs) i think it sums it up (laughs) yeah i feel like both of us definitely can agree with that and are on the same page with the fact that social media is not reality and especially in the fitness space how how can we intervene there to make it more realistic for the average person or for the person that just wants to benefit their health a little bit or go the extra mile to kind of elevate what they're already doing in the space but also make it more realistic so I think to start, I know a question Tony and I have, and in terms of on the nutrition end, we'll get more into the training after this, but if you could think of a hierarchy of importance when it comes to nutrition for the general person trying to improve their physique, when it comes to one thing that may be the most important, one or two things that may fall in the middle of the road, and then maybe some things that are more nuanced, don't matter as much, but people may hear a lot. It's kind of some core principles. Yeah. So I, I like that question because you're, you're, if I'm going to rephrase it, what are the one or two things that matter? And mm-hmm. then maybe one or two things that really don't matter at all that, that, that tend to get people focused on the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really honing in on principles, like the principles that govern success in any countless ways they're delivered. Yeah. I, I think the, the first principle is energy balance. Just know your caloric maintenance values. And this is where I will get, I guess, a a little in the weeds, but I think there's value in this. Um, Yeah. If you know how many calories you can eat on a given day where you don't gain weight or lose weight, that's extremely important to know because our food culture makes it extremely easy to overeat. Mm. And when I say that, I'm looking in the mirror, I... If I'm not tracking my macros, and I'm not saying everybody should track their macros. Mm-hmm. If I don't track my macros, I do not maintain my body weight for mm-hmm. whatever reason. I would say it's a lack of discipline. So that is 
my story, my truth, as my yeah. <laughs> as the kids say today. So just having an idea, uh, a, a an idea of your of your energy balance in terms of calories. I think that's important. If you go lower than that, you're going to lose body fat. If you go above that, you're going to gain mm -hmm. body fat. So that's principle number one. Energy balance matters. And then the, I would say the second most important principle is if you're going to be in the, the fitness lifestyle where you're trying to live with leaner than average body fat levels, that's, that's the research that I do. Mm -hmm. Protein is very important. And mm -hmm. specifically, eating more protein than the average person. Now that doesn't have to be high levels that you just can't, you just struggle every day, but it's probably more than what you would naturally do without setting a goal for yourself. So those would be the two, energy balance and then mm -hmm. prioritizing protein within your nutrition plan. Perfect. Yep. I was gonna say protein separated from macros too. Cause I know a lot of the work that you do as well is really looking at like high versus low protein, protein spacing through the day. Cause it does seem like that's kind of the king and queen, if you will, of the nutrition side, energy balance, protein intake. And one question I actually really had to you, and this might be a little bit more in the weeds, is that's what I think most people are starting to understand is how important protein, and honestly, sometimes protein is a good starting place if no one's ever tracked their calories, tracked their macros, just because from like the satiety effect, people generally eat a little bit less total food if they have a higher protein diet, which I think is huge. But when it does come a little bit next level, and this is maybe where you could call the cutoff, is I, I, in San Diego down here, I'm around a lot of people who are in bodybuilding, competition prep, and their fats and carbs start to matter a little bit more, it seems, the leaner you get. But I know a lot of the research done, even though it's mostly on the obese population, shows that carbs and fats can pretty much be interchangeable in fat loss while preserving muscle. Is there a kind of line where you think it starts to teeter where carbs and fat might start to matter a little bit, not more than protein and calories, of course, but in the next ring of things? Does it start to matter the leaner you get, or is there not really a cutoff line for that? No, I, I, I don't think I can say it any better than you just said. I, I don't think your protein is your priority, so I, I, yeah. I like to use the term prioritize protein. Carbs and fats increase in importance the leaner and leaner you get, or if we're going to talk about competitive bodybuilding, the closer and closer you get to a competition date. Mm -hmm. Or let me say it like this, the lower and lower your calories get, the more mm. important your carbohydrates will become. Mm -hmm. So, but if you're not, if you're not dieting, go with your, go with your preferences. So here, like yeah. an example, if my wife is just, let's just say on a, you know, a moderate caloric deficit, we prioritize protein. So she gets her protein goal. And then I know she likes carbs. She likes sweets. So the majority of her other calories after protein is, is prioritized. They come from carbs. For me, it's probably closer to fifty to fifty. I like sweets and I like bacon, so I, mm -hmm. to me, it's it's all this it's all the same. But as you get less and less calories, that's where I think it makes more sense to time your carbohydrates around your workouts, so that you have the the thing about carbs, which is unique, they are oxidized, and that just simply means that you can burn them for energy much more quickly than you can pro. Well, body doesn't even mm -hmm. like burning protein, but much more quickly than dietary fat. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to time your carbs if calories are low. But if yeah. they're not low, go with your preferences. And then you're, it's going to be more likely that you'll follow whatever diet you're trying to do if you can just eat what you like. 
Yeah. And that's, that's why I think these principles are so important, especially when it comes to energy balance is there are, and we'll get into this next, but the nuances, there are a lot of nuances, especially on social media of what you can and can't eat or too much sugar and carbohydrates is bad or too much fat is bad. And it's like, well, don't let that take away from your main goal of staying in this calorie deficit or losing some body fat. Don't let those nuances get in the way. If you like sweets, like you were saying, allow yourself to have the sweets. Don't have that extra amount of limbic friction, so to say, in terms of you achieving that goal of being in a calorie deficit, which is this principle, leading principle in order for you to achieve your goals. So I really like that you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's a good starting. So, okay. So yeah, one to two that matter a lot, which you'd put there. What about one to two things that we'll say kind of go in the middle, matter a little bit before we go to like the things that most people are kind of paying attention to that they really just don't need to at all. Is there anything you put in the middle that still matters a little bit if it's yeah, if anything, <laughs> if it, is it fiber? Is it carbs versus fat? Is it timing? Is it anything else that you could kind of see that matters a little bit supplements even where yeah, people I, can, can give a little effort to? Yeah, I, I would, on my own, I struggle, but then I think you said something. I'm like, well, that's perfect. I, I, I would say the, the timing of, the, of the, when you're going to eat. So your calories are set for the day. Have an idea of what they are. Prioritize protein. And then I think a middle line is, is the timing. So let's just talk about the, the timing of the, the nutrients. So protein... What if you're trying to maximize muscle gain, what works best is approximately evenly distributing your protein intake throughout the day. So morning, afternoon, evening. Mm-hmm. And I would say probably even a fourth feeding, which would be post-workout. That would make sense. We know from cellular level data, and we know from one study in bodybuilders now that just came out uh, within the last year, Mm-hmm. That when you approximately evenly distribute your protein feedings throughout the day, you build more muscle mass. What that is an argument against is time-restricted feeding where you're only going to eat for four hours or six hours mm-hmm. per day. Now, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean there aren't benefits to time-restricted feeding. In fact, I recently had a change of mind on that topic. And again, that's a whole rabbit trail. But I'll just say in a fat loss phase... I think there are very good benefits to time-restricted feeding for some people, but you are knowingly going to give up a little bit in terms of maximizing muscle mass. Mm -hmm. But again, if you're prioritizing fat loss, we want to maintain our muscle mass, but we want to lose fat. So you got to pick your your target and go there. Fiber, that could be another middle of the road thing. I know some, some coaches will track fiber with their clients. I'm scared to do that because I would be appalled at probably how little I actually eat. Uh, (laughs) Once you track it, you realize how little. You're like, oh, man, I'm really not where I thought I was. Yeah. yeah. Man, back up real quick because I think this is an important one that over the last couple of years because I was a big one on like referring to as like intermittent fasting or like you said, time-restricted eating. Yep. Is for muscle growth, same thing. It's optimal to be spacing it out. So it's not optimal to have time-restricted eating. But when it comes to a fat loss phase, this is what I noticed when I went through my own personal one previously is that I'm just not really naturally hungry in the morning. And I get really, really hungry and cranky later in the day at night after I even eat a bigger dinner. So what I started to notice is, like you said, most people aren't trying to gain muscle unless they might be brand new into the space. Most people aren't trying to gain. They're just trying to maintain, making sure the weight they lose isn't just weight, but it's fat. 
is time-restricted eating, do you think, for people that can really start to play, like for myself, where I could stack larger meals later in the day so I don't get those late-night cravings, just always would throw me off. Could I be holding on to as much muscle as I could be in that time-restricted window? Would that be realistic, and could I maintain as much as if I did space it evenly through the day? Before I answer that, let me just say, an option is a time-restricted or intermittent fasting approach with a protein feeding in the morning. Okay, so now it's no longer mm. intermittent fasting because <laughs> you have But you you're still allocating your ca- most of your yes. calories for the day until later, okay. So there's one hybrid approach that you could use. If you're gonna do, and I'm exactly like you, probably six, seven years ago, I realized I'm not hungry in the morning. Why am I forcing myself to eat breakfast? <laughs> yeah. And then overeating by the end of the day when, I, when I'm not hungry in the morning, like essentially I'm banking those calories for evening when I am hungry. So to me, it makes mm-hmm. sense. So. I do a form of intermittent fasting, not really even calling it that. So I don't think you can optimize your muscle mass with that approach. But mm. if you're trying to lose fat, I, th- I think it's a good choice. And let me explain why. And again, I just changed my mind on this after mm. reading this study. And I, I summarized this study in one of my research things that I'm going to have coming out. So we can talk mm. about that later. But they did a study where they compared flexible dieting versus intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding is what they call mm. it. The flexible dieting, and I'm a flexible dieter. We, my, my lab did the first study in flexible dieting and resistance strength people. So that's kind of what oh, I that's advocate. Dope. That's cool. <laughs> so the flexible dieting, they said, hey, reduce your calories by 500. And they had these people, uh, I, I wanted, I'm pretty sure they were resistance training. It's funny, I did a whole <laughs> focus on it. I can't remember, but I think mm. they were resistance training. They gave them uh, things like 1.4 grams per kg of protein. So not optimal amounts of protein, but more than what most people would get. Mm -hmm. The flexible dieting group, they said, cut your calories by 500. The time-restricted feeding group, they said, don't diet. The only thing we want you to do is just limit the times that you eat. Don't eat before noon. Don't eat after 8. And what they found after the study was they both lost the same amount of body fat. They both maintained the same amount of muscle. The thing that I loved about the, the time-restricted feeding group, they naturally decreased their calories without consciously dieting. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a nutrition psychologist. I'm not an exercise mm-hmm. psychologist. I'm not a behavioral psychologist. But if you tell me I'm dieting, I'm already going to be hungry just because you told me I'm dieting. Yes. Yeah. With time-restricted feeding, if you tell me I'm not dieting, maybe, I think that's pretty powerful. So that's why yeah. you know, I, I think... And I'm going to say, for some people, I'm going to put that caveat here. Time-restricted feeding is probably the best approach for some people when dieting because they don't have to really consciously reduce their calories. It happens intuitively by not eating in the morning. And if you're like yeah. us, you're not hungry. Who cares? Yeah, you yeah. feel just as good. And I was going to say, the just from a behavioral standpoint, I think people don't realize that. I mean, meaningful progress takes time. So if you can do something that fits your lifestyle that – you don't have to put that conscious effort to towards months of focusing on your calories, your macros, things like that. It can be a great tool. And I do want to reemphasize because we're talking about principles, right? And why those are important. This time-restricted eating is just another way to carry out a caloric deficit or use that first principle in line. It's not the magic secret. It's not the thing that works. It's an awesome tool for certain people based on your lifestyle, right? I think so. Yeah. And what you just said, if you can know your lifestyle 
and then come up with a nutrition and, and exercise program that, that fits that where they match most seamlessly, you've just, you've just maximized that person's success for adhering to, to whatever the training or nutrition program is. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. Consistency and also not getting too caught up in, well, I was told I have to do this or feeling controlled by what someone else may be doing or what's works for someone else well find what works for you because we're talking about lifestyle changes if you want it to be sustainable if you want to keep this weight off let's hack this journey a little bit with what is really conducive to what i'm already doing if i typically have to get up be out super early in the morning and go to work and i know i have meetings packed right let's try waiting until lunchtime see how you feel how does that work you don't have to rush to stuff some food in your face let's do it let's see how that works and it's constantly learning about yourself and it's that long-term idea in mind so yeah let me give one other just i guess it's a story an example that i think articulates this well i'm a protein researcher i interpret the evidence that a higher protein diet is better so we'll use an example of 200 grams of protein just as an example 200 grams of protein for person x is their ideal amount to maximize their their physique they're currently eating 100 grams of protein when they come to us as a coach a bad coach is going to say all right we have to double your protein you've got to go from 100 to 200 because that's what the evidence says i think that's a very poor approach um assuming that the person doesn't is struggling so the person struggles They could never get to 200. They have anxiety over it. They have GI distress. But you can get them to eat 130 grams of protein with, uh, let's say, a post-workout protein and maybe just being conscious of protein, higher protein foods. To me, that is a much more successful coach because you've taken them further towards optimal where, they're, where, where they can sustain it and it's not anxiety-ridden rather than the coach who says, 200, that's what the science says. I think there's the difference between yeah. a good coach and a bad coach because you've, you've appreciated the lifestyle and preferences in the, in the latter example. Yeah. Well, yeah. one thing I appreciate, and I'll say this about your research, at least, and tell me if I'm off on this, but at least the ones that I read through, because I know Mariana's and I's approach too, is when a client comes in, we don't just say, okay, here's your nutrition goals based on you know your body weight, your whatever metrics we could give a, cal- a loose calculation, which is kind of silly, but it's paying attention to what their lifestyle is like for the first few weeks. So we can say, okay, here's where we are. Here's what's the best possible thing. Let's see where we can start to make changes, right? Step-by-step to get you closer to. And in your research, it seems like you're a bigger fan of taking a little bit longer of a time to assess where someone is currently before you assess the change that happened. Instead of like having one or two days of tracking their calorie intake, one weekday, one weekend, you're a bigger fan of taking a couple weeks in that method too, correct? Yeah, yeah. We, we do that in my research studies where they don't have a choice. But in my practice, when I work with people, they hate me for that. They're like, and when I say they, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I want to die. I want to do it now. I'm like, let's just mm-hmm. take two weeks. And generally, we, we've in the past agreed on a week. But yeah, we meet in the middle. Time, <laughs> Because taking your time, you're accounting for, you're washing out all these daily fluctuations in body weight, menstrual cycle mm-hmm. changes. You can, you can get a much more accurate 
estimation of what I said earlier is the, the main principle, which is your maintenance calories. Mm -hmm. um, so in yeah. research, it's, again, <laughs> it's a captive audience. In the real world, I think when you guys work with clients, that that's a much harder sell to a lot of people. But I'm sure you guys are successful in probably. Oh, they get they get pissed off. <laughs> They're yeah. like, "I hired you because <laughs> what do you mean we're not making changes to my diet?" It's like, "Yeah, we're not making changes yet." <laughs> that's what that's what the goal is. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because there are mm. you know 90 percent of uh, you know, other coaches that would be glad to throw them into a diet based on some algorithm that works for them. I find it so important, especially in my personal experience, Tony probably does this too, is to always say to my clients, hey, I am so excited to work with you. I want you to get to a point where you're like, I don't need you anymore. What am I doing here? Like, I can take this. I can run with it. I could do this forever. Like, and you can't do that by just giving people a basic calorie and macronutrient need, telling them to follow a certain diet and then you know, not giving them any behavioral changes that fit their lifestyle. So, yeah, and it's also that. a way to not to make nearly as much money. Sure. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, big time. Which is some people's unfortunate focus. So I want to do this just to space out time a little bit better too. So I, I don't want to. I want to sum up the nutrition piece so I could touch on training. And I'm like, oh man, training is going to be a. You might have to cliff note version training. The nutrition principles because we were thinking of here's the one or two things that matter a lot. The things that might matter a little bit the things that don't matter at all. I mean, at this point, instead of asking you what things don't matter at all, is it kind of like the things that don't align with these initial principles probably aren't worth paying attention to? Yeah. Would you kind of I'd say love, that's fair? I, I think that's a great way. If it's not about your total calories, if it's not about prioritizing protein. And I'm yeah, hard, not with I, your lifestyle. Is it like, it's not really something yeah, I'm that hard is worth to say, don't waste your, I mean, again, you're talking pennies on the dollar mm -hmm. at, at, at that point yeah well because that's what and i think an interesting point and why we try and dial it down is because you can't like we can't blame people for feeling lost in this industry just because there's so much information just in general but especially with the rise of social media and how much information is available just at your fingertips our processing speeds as human has not kept up with the pace the information's grown at so it can be so overwhelming when looking at it when it's like, okay, if we can just simplify it down to these principles, you're still gonna see a hundred new things a day, a hundred new diets, a hundred new supplements, hundred whatever. But I think it's it's a nice compass and guiding lane to kind of have and say, okay, does whatever I just was trying to be like, you know, sold on Instagram, does that line up with these principles? And if the answer is no, it's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't pay too much attention to it. Or, oh, it kind of does align with those principles. Maybe I should explore with my lifestyle. Same thing now when it comes to training. And this is going to be a little tricky because I think the training is going to vary more based on the individual than the nutrition aspect. Because I was going to ask you the same thing about the training, right? Is there one or two things that matter a lot, a little, not at all? But let's say a little bit more specific. Let's say someone who's an intermediate lifter. Let's say mean body fat percentage has been training for about one to two years, is looking to get leaner if not build a little bit muscle, would you say that there's similar style? There is a few principles that they should, or at least are worth paying more attention to in training than others? Let me make an assumption. I'm assuming that the person is trying to maximize muscle. They're trying to build muscle mm -hmm. or at least maintain yes. muscle. Yes, so that'll be, sorry, I left that part out. Yeah, so it, if that's the client, I take the approach that your resistance training program is kind of like your heartbeat. It just, it happens all the time throughout the year, and it really doesn't change whether you're trying to build muscle, 
lose body fat, that's the staple. The things that change about your journey in changing your body, whether you're trying to get leaner or build more muscle, is the nutrition piece, that'll go up and down. Your cardio will be present or not present, maybe at certain times. But your resistance training, I, I don't think you're, you're helping your physique aspirations mm -hmm. by changing your resistance training program when you're trying to lose body fat. So uh, let me say it in the positive. You should always be training with intensity. And what that practically means is close to failure. So whatever exercise you're doing, whatever weight you're lifting, every set should be close to failure. Doesn't matter if you're dieting, doesn't matter if you're in a maintenance phase, doesn't matter if you're trying to build muscle. If, if every set is too near failure, and I, let me just break that down just in case not everybody's sure. If I'm doing a bench press and I have 100 pounds and I can lift it 10 times, if I tried to lift it 11, I could not lift it. I would have, somebody would have to come and take it off of me. Mm -hmm. That would be training to failure. We would call that at 10 reps, I could not do an 11th one, so 10 reps was to failure. That means all of your sets should be eight or nine, maybe even sometimes to failure 10 reps. That means you're mm -hmm. working hard on each set. What the research in that area tells us is you can train to failure or a few repetitions shy of failure, and you're still getting the same muscle growth stimulus on that muscle. So I would say don't go to failure. You don't need to. Yeah, and that's huge. Yeah, you're actually causing a lot more uh, unnecessary inroads into your recovery. So that approach, just that's your lifestyle of training. Today, mm -hmm. next month, in f five years, whatever you're doing, you're taking it to near failure. Now, there could be times where you take what we would call deloads, take time off from training, occasionally back off, have five reps left because you're just allowing your joints to recover. So yeah. Generally, there is a place for training periodization. Lower mm -hmm. the, the, the intensity, take some time off. All that's fine. But I'm not one to say, yeah, losing fat, increase your reps. Do more toning. I, yeah, there's I no think that's, that's worth repeating, I think, for most people is realizing, because that's something that most people just have that block in their head. Training for fat loss, training for muscle building, the resistance training piece doesn't and shouldn't train too much. That's what you're saying, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's that is it's a staple. It's the heartbeat. It's it doesn't vary much. Mm -hmm. What varies is your calories and your cardio. And again, assuming we're, we're assuming that we're change, trying to change the shape of our body. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. And then, Mariana, do you want to do anything else with this or should we jump into because I mean, again, Bill, we don't want to just do this because I know it's just coming out as new. But body by science, we do want to spend some time. And Mariana, did you have any other questions about the training aspects? So we can spend a good chunk on this before you got to get going, Bill. Yeah, I think we should hop into body by science, give that a little bit of extra time. That's, okay. For sure. This is honestly what I've been looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So like I was saying, for most people, because I don't think we actually covered this at the very beginning, to give a little bit more insight. So Bill's coming out with a research review called Body by Science here shortly. This coming Friday, which at the time of this recording, I'm saying that this might be in the past when this actually <laughs> comes out, but <laughs> coming out with Body by Science, a research review. And for those that are unfamiliar, a research review is when certain individuals, I've talked about a lot of mass, which I think is Eric Helms, Greg Knuckles put a great one out with mass. Alan Aragon has a great one that comes out monthly. You're coming out with another one that I think is very different 
in the sense, but it's where you take a number of certain academic papers and you break them down fully, help communicate because reading papers is challenging. It's not just like reading a chapter of a book. It's a very challenging, you have to be very well-versed in the lingo, understand what questions to ask and what questions not to. And it's where you kind of put that out. Now, I want to start by saying our favorite parts about Body by Science that we noticed that were very different than the other ones that we read is one, the communication is pretty much at any kind of level could be understood. Beginner, intermediate, advanced. We think you communicate the ideas in those studies very, very well. And our most important part, I think how you do that is through the expert application in that where you have different experts in the field come in and give their take on it as well and give almost not case studies, but different scenarios where different people could use these in different points of their lifestyle. That's what we loved Mm -hmm. about it. So that's what we got from reading the first issue. What is Body by Science and what was the goal in creating it? So Body by Science is what most in our field would call a research review. And as you're hearing this, you can go to my website, it's BillCampbellPhD.com, and you can download a free issue. The inaugural issue is free. It's the issue I think that you guys read, just so you can get an idea if it's something that you think would bring you value. I think what caused caused me to do this, I've wanted to do this for probably at least 10 years. Now, I was at a point in my career where I couldn't do this. So Alan Aragon, you mentioned his. His was the first one in our space. So he, he mm-hmm. was a, a pioneer in get, breaking down research for, for, fitness, uh, for fitness enthusiasts. And over the years, we talked about mass. They do it at such a, a really high level. James Krieger has a, 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 mm-hmm. another one. So there's, there's other ones out there. So I, I knew when I started mine, I wanted it to be at a almost a high school reading level. So mm. what you said about reading research articles, it's, I, again, I get paid to do this, but it's very hard. It takes, it takes a lot of time, and I don't want you to be intimidated by that. It's my job in, in my Body by Science Research Review to break down the long scientific academic journal article. Let me break that down for you. But just that's not that valuable. Okay, so this is what the research says. The true value is how can we apply this to the lives of our clients or in our own lives if we're serious about our exercise and nutrition? So that's where I'm bringing in expert coaches, physicians, dietitians to say, here's how I would apply this. Now, that doesn't mean that's the way to do it. That just gives you an idea, it kind of turns, okay, I see how they did this, I would do this. So yeah, I, I pretty much, I have a big emphasis on the application piece. The goals are not too sciencey, which sounds funny because it's a research review. <laughs> and then I say not too sciencey because I want every fitness professional to have it. And as we talked earlier, we didn't really get down to the a lot of the negatives of our of our space, but a lot mm-hmm. of the just the mass programming, the, I guess I'll call it the fakeness. Mm-hmm. This is real. Definitely. Like This is what the evidence says. The evidence is not sexy. And then these are real coaches with the same philosophy that you guys have when working with your clients. It's a lifestyle approach. Make this part of your lifestyle so that it can enact change for, for the rest of your life. So hopefully that answered your question. Yeah. Perfect. I can't think 
of something better to share with our audience because I love that you just said it's not sexy. It isn't. The truth isn't always going to grab your attention and really getting that understanding of how is this going to work in my life. It does take different approaches. It does take thinking about where am I at versus where is someone else at and how can I make something applicable without it being too daunting and without being Mm -hmm. overwhelmed by so much research. Like that is why we have people like you who do this to break it down and eliminate that noise, uh, which Tony and I were talking about this earlier. It's really tough on social media when you see a lot of people sharing what they do, who have been in this space, who have been lifting and disciplined for years and years, and they share what they do. And that is the preface. It's this is what I do. It's not considering other people's lifestyles and routines and kind of their baseline understanding. So it can almost increase that barrier to, well, I can't, this isn't realistic for me. I'll never be successful. So it's a longer tangent, but it's really awesome for our audience. I was going to even say too, sorry to to cut, because who it's available for is, even though Alan's research review, for example, it's broken down so well in how it reviews it. But this is the one too that I saw could almost open up a larger window because I think Mariana and I both agree and that's the type of content we try and put out what we do with our clients it's all like education first because I think when people have the understanding and the confidence in why they're doing what they're doing they're much more likely to stick to it to see results to do that and I think this just reaches further than just again fitness professionals or coaches in the space who could benefit from it our audience who takes fitness serious their health serious like you said at a high school reading level should be able to go through this and get a ton of value out of it. So we're going to share the first issue on your side as well. I mean, with who you made this for, do you think this could reach more people than just people in the fitness profession space, like you're just saying, and reach a lot more people at a lot more levels? Yeah, I mean, I hope it does. As When I sit down every month to write it, I'm thinking this serves fitness professionals and it serves people who are serious about their training and nutrition, people who want to base their training on the science. And also, I didn't say this earlier, it's solely focused on fat loss and muscle gain. So I don't mm-hmm. really deviate. There's a lot of other important topics, but I don't, I don't go there. It's very specific. Some of the studies are very new, but mm-hmm. I've also, I've also am emphasizing studies that have been landmark studies that have changed the way we do things it may have been 10 years ago that a study came out that I'm going to review because that still impacts how we coach today or it's impacted the lifestyle coaching approach that, that we all embrace. So it's not just like the, the one issue, I think it's going to be the third issue. I summarize a study that was from 2000, so over 20 years ago. And then I'm also summarizing a study that's not even published yet. So I'm going into the future and I'm going back in time. But both of those studies, I can assure you, are going to change the way that we either work with our clients or the way that we program our own nutrition and training mm-hmm. uh, plans. Or it will just reinforce what we're doing. I would say those three things. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's always going to be a huge need in this space and emphasizing, like to use to emphasize the importance of an evidence-based practice, especially as a coach, because to think that what worked 10 years ago, sometimes the same principles are always going to apply, but research is always changing and evolving and const- we're constant learners. You should be a constant learner. So because 
there's just so much that we don't know yet and so much that we're learning that reviews like this are so helpful and it's also important to emphasize you can change your opinions like you were just mentioning in the beginning about time-restricted feeding and because we are going to be more informed in five years about a certain topic that we weren't so i just i really love that yeah, okay and let me i was gonna oh. say do you have a time for one more question too that leads yeah. off of what mariana just said yeah please. okay do. sorry and sorry to cut you off we'll continue there and then i was like we got one more good one that i wanted to, to run by you too no i i just love it because you know i live my life in, in in research and reading and when i read that study about time restricted feeding it changed my whole approach like i mm-hmm. again a few months ago i'm like i don't think time restricted feeding I, I don't think i would recommend now i think it's a after seeing that science, I'm like, I, I gotta change my approach. This is gonna be great for some people. Yeah. So, so this actually is perfect. So I was gonna ask you, this might be your answer to that one. So it's a two-parter. Is if we sat you down 10 years ago, you're still doing what you're doing, it's definitely shifted. But 10 years ago, what news would you know today? Or what facts would you know of today? That if we sat you down 10 years ago, would you have had zero idea or not even paid attention to 10 years ago? And then second part of the question is, if we sit you down in 10 years now with the research that you have ongoing and what you see in the field is and how it's evolving, what areas do you think has that potential 10 years from now to be like, you know what, we did not pay too much attention to this over here. This is now one of these big principles or plays along with it, if you have any of those on the top of your mind. Well, the one easier 10 years ago that I had (laughs) no appreciation for was flexible dieting. Hmm. If, If you would have told me you can eat pretty much whatever you want and lose body fat. Let me be more specific. I would have said, nah, I think you got to eat pretty healthy, you know, what we would mm-hmm. deem healthy foods. Th- that's what I would have said 10 years ago. And now knowing, well, you can, again, back to the principle, energy balance. You, <laughs> not that you should, but you could eat fruity pebbles. <laughs> Solely, just fruity pebbles and lose body fat as long as you're eating less calories of the fruity pebbles. Not, I'm not advocating a fruity yeah, pebble. <laughs> yeah. But to drive the point home. But to drive yes. the point home. But to drive, now, do yes. you, the harder part, do you see anything in the future that is ongoing or evolving right now that you think might stem in that direction? I think you're not going to be able to get as specific as flexible, you know, something like that. But in the future, do you see anything kind of evolving that's catching your attention a little bit more now? Oh boy! No, I, no, I, I'm, I'm struggling with that. Um, it's hard to see in the future, though. So it's almost an unfair question. <laughs> it's yeah, almost an unfair yeah. question. I'll just say, the maybe what will happen is a more scientific approach to biofeedback about when to implement diet breaks, diet refeeds. Mm. So kind of fine tuning. We diet for this long until we see these changes in our biology, and now it's time to come out of this. Because right now, I think mm-hmm. it's just, I think there's value in diet breaks, taking a break from a caloric deficit for a week or two. Yeah. But I don't think we've we fine-tuned that. So if I had to okay. get, estimate 10 years from now, I think we, maybe we'll be further along in that area of the science. Do you think that would be in terms of, in terms of there may be some more specific biomarkers we may be able to look out for in terms of maybe we should it's going to be a good time to take a break is that kind of a direction it could go in or because i feel like that's a great question yeah that's what i'm suggesting so an actual biomarker now right now let's say again i'm I'm not a coach but if i were coaching people one of my i would just say you've been on a caloric deficit and now you're not losing body fat Mm -hmm. you're not losing body weight for two or three weeks 
Okay, that means we need to do something different. I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to. You know, run you up against the wall. I think one of the tools, one of the options, is a diet break at this point. Let's come out yeah. of this, and let then let's go back into it. So right now, to me, it's just it's it's just not losing weight mm. after a period of time. Mm -hmm. But maybe in the future, it is a metabolic marker. Yeah. Maybe it is one of those tests that you can test your metabolic rate and it actually be a valid test. And we, mm -hmm. and you can start to, to be ahead of this. So right now I would say it's probably more of a reactive. Maybe okay. in the future we can be proactive. That, maybe I that's like what that I do my research in, Tony. We're just talking about that's... what I'm going to do my <laughs> right, let's, research in. I think that's school. huge. <laughs> no, because that re really is. We're very reactive now. We're going off of different, like even going off of sleep quality, hunger cues, random things. But it's again, mm -hmm. it's not being able to predict necessarily when things are going to happen. And I know that's something that we get asked all the time. How long can I be in a deficit for? How long? Depends on a lot. You can't yeah. really tell it down. So we don't want to keep your time because we know you, you had to get out of here at four o'clock. So all in all, if you could tell people where they could find you, I know you said your website, but if you want to repeat your website, we think honestly for anybody listening, your Instagram for social media is an incredible place to gain a massive amount of understanding. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So go to my website, download just... the free issue. And again, you have to give me your email. Give me your email, then you can download the free issue of Body by Science. My website is BillCampbellPhD.com. And if you go to my Instagram, my Instagram, I just do a lot of education on the same thing we talked about here. So exercise, nutrition, dietary supplements. That is BillCampbellPhD. That's my Instagram handle. Beautiful, beautiful. And we'll be sure to share that and put all that in the show notes as well. So if you're listening now or on YouTube, it'll be right below the episodes. So you can find that. So go check it out. Let Bill know what you think. Let us know what you think. And Bill, we'd love to have you on again in the future to actually deep dive into some of your research. Because I know we geek oh, out yeah. about that too. too much, <laughs> but we appreciate you taking the time. We are so freaking pumped for Body by Science to, to officially be out. I'd love to be a guest again. I, again, I think our audiences are, are very congruent. So that, that would be awesome. Love it. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you.